Welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. And today we have a very exciting guest, something very different to we've had uh, from previous guests. And her name is Lydia McCarthy Keen. She's the UK's most ethical wholesale diamond dealer and leading expert in the lab grown diamonds. Every sale she makes provides a prosthetic limb to an amputee of a blood diamond victim of which there are estimated 27,000 in West Africa. She's going to talk about business, women in business, and ethics in business, and especially around diamonds and the luxury jewelry market. So let's welcome Lydia. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> how, are you, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, yeah, although um, it's pretty annoying with the rain at the moment, huh? I'm wondering where summer's. When it's when is it gonna come? <laughs> I mean, last year we had a pretty good, pretty good gig for about three months. We had sun, and this year actually we had one of the hottest days, didn't we? So already, yeah. yeah although uh, who knows where it is? Yeah, it's preparing us for a good winter then. <laughs> <laughs> Hope people aren't listening to this in winter. <laughs> <laughs> Lydia, uh, for the people that don't know you, what would you say you do? So I'm in the luxury ethical diamond space. I'm a jeweler and I'm a diamond broker. And that pretty much in a nutshell sums it up. Wow. Where did it begin then? What, was, what, was, what really got you into it? Well, uh, the first time, I guess the best way to talk about it is the first time I ever knew that diamonds existed. And I was nine years old and I think it was about 1991. And my dad took me to a jewellery shop just in the local town and he was going to buy a gift for my mom I think and he was going to buy me something and uh, we went along to this jewellery store and I'd seen it before because it was so different to any of the other jewellery any of the other stores in my local town because it had like um, big, a big red dark red banner you know the kind of canopy that sort of hangs out and it had like beautiful gold letters on it and just the way everything was laid out in the shop just kind of invited you to sort of want something, you know. And the way the staff spoke to me and treated me like an adult, you know, and it was the first time that I'd ever had this sort of experience. That was the first time that I became aware that there was something deeper to my parents' relationship and there was something kind of intangible that was really special about a luxury product and about diamonds. And so that was sort of my first experience. And I remember, it's so strange the things that you remember, but I remember putting my hands on the glass counter and I couldn't really get my head sort of much above the kind of glass counter. And there's just like this sea of sparkles below. And, um, when the woman brought the jewellery box out for me to choose something, she it was like this lovely black touchable velvet and everything about it just kind of felt right. And then she opened the box and it was just full of really boring children's rings. And I was really disappointed because I thought I was going to get one of these really expensive diamonds. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh, I'm going to have some of those one day. That would be great. So that was kind of like my first experience with it really. And I guess in a sense where the love affair started, although I didn't get into the industry professionally for many years. Wow. And, and what was it? You know, I mean, a lot of people would have, you know, they, they encounter their passion very early on in their life, but they never 
really pursue on it unless it relates to very obvious like sports or, or, or you know, um, some sort of fascination with science or some, something along those lines. With your industry, and I, I'm going to be a bit, I don't know the right word for it. I don't, I don't want and I, I have to be a bit PC here saying a lot of girls, almost every girl dreams of, you know, when they think of diamonds, it's, it's the time when they're going to get married. And, and, and that's just about it. That's as far as it goes. But with you, there's, there's just more than that, a lot more than that. And it comes across as well. So what was the point for you now thinking, I want to do something within this industry and, and where, where do you begin with something like that? Yeah, it's such an interesting question because it's, um, it's been quite an interesting journey because I suppose if you're going to get into diamonds normally, then you would, you know, you'd probably be, you'd probably become a jeweler, you know, you might train as a jeweler or maybe you would... Um, I don't know, get a sales job in a jewellery shop or maybe you, you know, kind of got into the industry in some kind of other way. And I didn't have that direct route in, nor did I even think about that kind of as a career path. It was really just something that I felt, you know, just a personal love affair, really. And when I left university, I was actually working in the mining sector. So I was working in like mining oil and gas, you know, a very what I I felt was just quite a boring but rather well-paid city job after university and I feel like I just sort of fell into it really and um, I I felt quite disheartened with the sort of continuing flow there was this um, sort of contradiction between these lovely financial reports and lovely responsibility reports that mines would produce saying how they've, you know, renovated the area where they've been mining and turned it into this lovely sort of green space versus the other emails which would come in, which is about managing the PR around people who died, you know, miners who died. And there's just this sort of strange kind of um, contradiction that, I mean, I think most people realize that mining isn't really that environmentally friendly and it's not you know, it's a dirty industrial process at the end of the day. Uh, and there's lots of human problems with mining in terms of the labor force. And, but, you know, I wasn't thinking about getting into diamonds at this point. It was just this sort of really nasty smash, I suppose, between this love affair that I have as a nine-year-old and something which has developed through my life uh, versus working, supporting an industry, which the the magic of the, the mystery and the beauty that I find in the stone is not supported by the way these things are brought out of the ground. And some of the practices around that is just not very supportive of that. So that's, that was kind of the backstory to it. And then it was when I got engaged myself that um, I wanted to find something ethical and realized, I suppose, from my background and probably did a bit more research than most people would do, that there isn't really an ethically mined diamond. It doesn't really exist um, for all sorts of reasons. And um, that's how I learned more about lab-grown diamonds, which is what I'm personally interested in. And it was, that was, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but that was kind of like a jump-off start point for how I ended up getting into the industry and, and wanting to, wanting, wanting diamonds to really be that celebration of what they mean to me, you know, what they meant to me as a child and what they mean to me, what they represent. And I don't, I don't want to live in a world where we don't have sustainable luxury or lots of abundance. That's just kind of not really my jam. I want lots of abundance, but um, I don't want to put people on the planet at risk for it. Yeah. I mean, there is this very 
dark side to your industry. I mean, there's two extremes of it. You know, people that are buying the diamonds that can afford to buy it, you can see the biggest smile on their face. And there's people that are finding it and mining it, are losing their lives and losing their legs. And there's just two very extremes to it. Now, how you're not only taking the challenge of starting a business and working there, you're taking the challenge of changing an industry. And especially more importantly, you're not fighting against the big players, you're, you're educating the, the buyers. Now, you know, a girl that you know, is on Instagram and looks up to, you know, Kim Kardashian, you know, where plastic surgery is now 16 years old, year old are going after and, and, and getting done. How do you educate those people and get in their mindset of saying, look, you are buying something. You know, when we go to a nice luxury store, like, I don't know, let's say Armani or Hugo, Hugo Boss, and, you know, you see the labels and say, it says it's made in Philippines or India or China. And, and you're like, oh, at least, you know, yeah, they're factories, child factories, but at least they're getting jobs, right? Otherwise, they'll be on the streets. But in your case, in the case of diamonds, people are actually losing their lives and losing their legs. But most general public don't care about that. They don't see that enough. I mean, how, how do you tackle that problem? How do you educate that, that, that uh, customer base? Yeah, I mean, I think the first port of call is to just think, I mean, we've had to do, myself and my team, we've had to do a lot of thinking about how to kind of approach that subject. And I think really with starting anything, you just start where you are and identifying who you, like what's going to get you off the ground and what's going to test your concept in business and uh, which kind of target client would you be looking to sell to initially? And you kind of don't really worry too much about the bigger picture. So for me, like someone who loves Kim Kardashian on Instagram and is very interested in plastic surgery is probably not going to be my target. It's a little bit like, trying to get a vegan to eat meat <laughs> or the other way around you know there's there's going to be people who i mean i think that's quite a good way of looking at it actually if we look at how vegetarianism has changed i mean i'm not a vegetarian now but i was brought up vegetarian and in the 80s and the 90s that was still kind of a bit of a weird thing and you know for me i didn't know any different but the argument was always you know around animal welfare and the trouble is when you talk about animal welfare you automatically put yourself into one category or the other. You know, you're either cruel because you eat animals or you're not cruel because you don't. And there's a huge gulf and a divide between those two arguments. And when, when it's framed in that way, it's difficult for either person. It's just such a strong identification either way. Whereas now we're talking about sustainability, you know, and eating less meat in order to have more sustainable farming practices or health benefits. So if you suddenly drop down to eating meat like three days a week and then two days a week, that's seen as a positive. You're no longer seen as someone who's not making an effort um, just because it's not perfect, right? So I feel like, and then look what's happened as a result. You know, veganism has exploded and vegetarianism has exploded. And in a way, I think that's a good kind of case study, if you like, to look at something like this. Diamonds are a finite source. You know, they are not... We cannot mine them forever, just like everything. They will run out. And the technology that's needed in order to dig deeper for them is a huge amount of investment and cost is needed for that. And virtually all of the mines in the world are at the end of their kind of life period before that deeper investment has to be made. So there's all kinds of problems just practically, you know, if nothing else, with mining more for diamonds. So growing them in a lab just is the future 
A, just for a practical reason, they will run out. And B, because of carbon emissions, it just makes so much more sense to actually grow diamonds where you can control carbon emissions and improve those than it does to keep digging them out of the ground. So I feel like you just kind of start where you are. And my initial target of people, I'm not trying to convince the, you know, the major meat eaters as you, you know, if you like. So they're just, you know, I don't even bother. (laughs) Right. Wow. Okay. And, and, um, uh, you were we were having this conversation um, a few weeks ago, and you mentioned about I said why would someone in their right mind want to spend money on a lab-grown diamond versus something that comes out of the ground? And and you you were explaining this. Please do so again for the users that are listening. Or why would someone why someone should consider that over uh, something that has been coming out of the ground since since the beginning of time, really? Yeah, well, I mean, we certainly haven't been digging them out of the ground since the beginning of time. Um, that's a nice story that, you know, De Beers likes to tell. Um, we haven't really been, uh, you know, using diamonds for engagement rings in a sense for that long. I mean, there are certain people who have been wearing them for a really long time, you know, royalty and things, but uh, they certainly weren't what we experienced them today. It's only been in relative recent history, but definitely the 20th century, that we're even able to cut and polish diamonds in a way in which they were really kind of sparkle. So, you know, gems of, of real old that were cut by hand, you know, antique gems and things are not particularly sparkly or shiny because we didn't really have the technology to cut them. I think the best way to think about lab-grown diamonds is to make an analogy between water and ice. And you can either, I mean, under the right conditions, water will crystallize into ice. It's just a natural process. And it's exactly the same for carbon. Under the right conditions, it will turn into a diamond. And if we think about freezing water, we can either wait for that water to freeze on a lake and we have no control over over when that happens, or we can build a freezer and put purified water in there and use technology for, to make that water crystallize. If we were then to take those ice cubes and mix them up with ice cubes from a lake, you'd have quite a hard time kind of digging through that, trying to determine which came from where. It's just the reality. And it's exactly the same with diamonds. We just recreate those conditions under which they will crystallize. And as a result of that, we can use increasingly, I hope, more carbon neutral technologies to actually power that system as well. So we can use wind farms and solar to grow really perfect diamonds. And they are perfect. uh, Well, there's all kind of characteristics to them, which is the same as mine diamonds, but they are perfect diamonds in that sense. They're identical anatomically and optically and everything. So I feel like it's just the question of, you know, are you going to join the future or are you going to stay in the past? You know, what's what's it going to be? One day you're going to have to choose an electric car or you're going to stick with your petrol guzzler, you know, which side of the fence do you want to be on? Absolutely. I mean, I remember watching this um, TV show on, uh, on, on BBC, Kill It, Cook It, Eat It. Um, and they had these 60, 70 meat eaters go in and watch the animals die. So basically the whole process from from start to end, and pretty much I'd say 60 of them came out vegetarian saying never going to touch again. It's, it's the lack of education that people have. And once that goes out there, once people know about it, you know, and, and at the end of the day, like you said, if the two of them were to be put under the microscope, they are identical. 
There is no yeah. difference whatsoever. Yeah, that was, that was a very interesting point. And you do a lot of work for charity as well. It's called uh, Legs for Africa. Yeah, my charity partner, Legs for Africa. Yeah, so it's so for me, it's not just about kind of ending. I don't know what I want to say about ending practices. I suppose, yeah, I do want to end outdated practices. But my sort of focus is really more about uh, living a life of abundance in a way that actually supports the direction that we need to go in, right? So, but then at the same time, it's nice to be able to rectify some problems of the past. So what a lot of people don't realize is that in Sierra Leone, which is in West Africa, there are 27,000 amputees estimated, and they are all directly or indirectly linked to blood diamonds. So there was a huge civil war, which happened in Sierra Leone about um, 11 years ago. And um, it's actually, there's quite a nice story to tell. Well, it's not a nice story, but uh, there's... Um, there was a boy who is the same age as me. He was the same, or he is the same age as me, but he was a boy at the time in 1991. Uh, and it's the same year that I went to this jewelry store with my dad. And we, so we're the same age. And in that same year, he lost his leg as, because he got shot um, when he was trying to escape some of the violence in Sierra Leone, where they were basically warring over control of the Diamond Territory. And it just, it just seems crazy to me that this little kid, the same age as me, loses a limb because of fighting over diamonds. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the jewelry store in my nice country looking at these beautiful things, you know, they just didn't seem, just, just not right. And um, they used, during this war, they used systematic violence to remove limbs from people as a way to control the population and control the diamond stock. So the charity that I work with, Legs for Africa, they uh, recycle limbs in the UK, which would otherwise end up in landfill um, because they're not allowed to reuse uh, medical equipment, even stuff like limbs. And then they send it over to Sierra Leone and they are put back together and given to people so that they can get back on their feet, which is amazing. And everything that we sell contributes towards this effort of trying to get these people back on their feet. So, um, yeah, it's probably the nicest thing that I do in my day. Is that what the movie is based as well on, Blood Diamond? Yeah, the movie Blood Diamond um, is based directly on this. And it's also it's where we coined the term Blood Diamond from initially. And, yeah, it's even though there, there isn't a civil war going on there anymore, it's still incredibly rich. Uh, resource of diamonds and um, it just it doesn't we might have all kinds of certificates nowadays that say that diamonds are ethical and things like this and yet it's one of the poorest countries in the world and yet it has one of the most richest resources you know why is that doesn't make sense yeah yeah exactly because big companies with deep pockets who don't want things to change are quite happy to go over there and pay off governments and generate certificates you know, to say that what they're up to is just fine and, you know, it's just stripping the, the money out of, out of their place. So, um, you know, that's, I guess that's one of the arguments that people say about, um, you know, factory workers and, you know, this kind of thing. Oh, well, if we didn't do that, then they wouldn't have jobs at all. 
I think we need to change that dynamic. You know, uh, they're not really getting paid. You know, they're getting virtual slave wages for what they do. So I just don't see it as an argument as why we should continue these kind of really backward practices, frankly. And is that the world's biggest, uh, uh, would you say, mining country? It's one of the major ones. I mean, they're all over the world. But, and of course, we do have mines in Canada and in Australia as well and in Russia. So there are plenty of mines which are in more modern or you know, completely westernized countries as well, where the problems are less around labor and wages and more around the environment. But Africa is one of the biggest producers of the highest quality diamonds still to this day. Some of the best ones still come out of Africa. Wow, it's the most exploited countries. Okay. Most, yeah, yeah. Yeah, including like Botswana, for example, where Meghan Markle's diamond came from. It's, you know, and she, we know that she's quite into her ethics and she actually owns a few lab grown diamonds as well. Ethics are really important to her. So it was quite an important thing. You know, she was very insistent, um, the press says, about making sure she had an ethical diamond. And Botswana is heralded as one of the most ethical kind of African countries for it to come from. And actually, unfortunately, when you dig beneath the surface, the surface, it's just, it has all of the hallmarks of, you know, atrocious labor practices, just like everywhere else in Africa. So is, it, is, it, is this movement picking up a lot of, a lot of celebrities are getting behind it now? Or is it just one or few here and there? It's a few here and there. I have seen a few I mean, a Google search will sort of reveal quite a few names, although it's not, to be honest, it's not a space, it seems odd, it's not a space I kind of really watch too much. You know, someone might send me an article as to who's wearing them, but they tend to be, they tend to be more fashion jewellery, and we don't really tend to work too much in that space. We work more in the luxury, luxury space. Right. Moving on to, um, you know, you've started a business, that's that's hard, hard as it is. We spoke about this earlier on you are in a very male-dominated industry and you're trying to change working practices of an industry that's been going on for a few hundred years at least. I know, what the hell, right? Um, <laughs> now, my question is, what's, what's been your lows? What's, what's, been the, what's been the major struggle? And how, do you, how yeah. dare you think of three of the biggest challenges in one go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just sort of happened. <laughs> such a, yeah, it's such a strange thing. I think the lows are... I mean, everyone has their own different assumption of what a low is. And our business is still quite new. So it's not like I have war stories of how we, you know, won (laughs) contracts with, you know, a huge, um, you know, we put all of our jewellery line into John Lewis or something, and then that all fell through. Or I don't have those kind of bigger stories just yet. But naysayers, yeah, like working with or speaking to naysayers, you know, when you're trying to start something fresh and if you haven't worked in it before, and if you're trying to do something a bit different that people can't really imagine, you get a lot of people telling you that you're absolutely crazy, you know. So um, I think there's a lot of personal battles you have to go through just within your own mind. And you, you don't have a team to talk to, especially in the beginning. And it's just you with just your vision, uh, with no money, with no contacts, no nothing. So um, you can go through some personal, you know, lows, I think. I've certainly been through and I'm sure I'll be through many more. <laughs> In your opinion, what kind of characteristics are important for, to, to succeed or get somewhere uh, within your space and, and, you know, the struggles that you have to go through, especially being, I've interviewed quite a few inspiration, 
you know, business leaders, female business leaders, and, and some of them started their careers in, you know, in the eight, and they mentioned it was difficult having a job as a woman and succeeding and moving forward. And, and they, they were brave enough to actually start their own businesses and actually succeed, you know, um, you know, you didn't get the family support, you didn't get the support of your boss, your colleagues, your, your team, you know, uh, people didn't like answering to uh, female bosses. Despite all of that, they, they managed to succeed and thrive. What, what, in your opinion, makes a great leader, and especially if, uh, you know, being a female in, in, in the male-dominated space? It's a really interesting question. I guess if I was talking to other women, I would say ignore statistics because if you read statistics about women in business, then you're going to be disappointed. The statistics haven't been written about me yet. And the statistics haven't been written about younger generations yet. So I say, don't bother like looking, looking at what other people say about what you can and can't achieve. You just have to follow what you're inspired to do. And you have to be your own leader. You have to be your own champion, your own leader before you can lead others, you know, so you have to be able to get yourself in check and work with your mind and your situation and turn things to your advantage. And I think that's just the same for anyone of any gender, you know, and take the wins with the losses. You know, there are benefits to being a man and there are benefits to being a woman. And this will be a very, very unpopular thing to say, I'm sure. I have to put up with a lot of shit, you know, (laughs) I get, um, I've had, even in recent business meetings, like people over flirting with me in a way that just really isn't appropriate. And that really annoys me. But at the same time, I know probably because I'm a woman, I can maybe connect with more powerful people than I would be able to necessarily straight off the bat if I was a guy. I know I'm just making an assumption here, but, um, you know, there are there are wins and losses with both. And I try not to make too much judgment on the situation and just do my own thing and sort of see if I can read a situation and advance, advance things for my own cause as and, as and where I go. And that's, that's all any individual can do, in my opinion. Yeah, it's just a lot about mental strength. I, that, that definitely comes over and over again. It's the mental strength you need to you know, tackle different situations and move forward and, and, and keep going, really. Um, yeah, and I think build your own team, like especially if you're at the beginning, build your own team of people that, that are in your own mind. And yeah. what I mean by that is listen to inspirational podcasts. And, you know, I've constantly got something plugged in my ear, you know, especially before I had a team, you know, just constantly got audio books or podcasts or things plugged in my ear so that in the beginning, if, you know, the people that you associate with make a difference and... It's, I think it's why, you know, you go to a really great school where, you know, everyone expects you to do really well and you just perform well because that's what's expected of you. You know, if you go to a really rubbish school where you're not really expected to do well, then you just, you just kind of sort of fit into that environment. So you can put yourself in, in an environment of success by using the internet and using podcasts long before you ever bring anything to fruition. And that's, I feel like that's really the place to start. And what about um, a leader or an entrepreneur you look up to? Who's your, who's your one person that, you know, if, if you had, have you had them on speed dial for any advice, who, who would it be? Oh, gosh, it changes all the time, but probably Sheryl Sandberg. I think she's, she just epitomizes 
female strength because she's working in a male dominated space and honestly she just takes so much crap um it's like she can't say anything without getting a load of crap for it and she just says it anyway and i love that wow okay and um what's the next big thing to come from you lydia what can we expect Oh, got so many projects on the go. Um, I just had a really cool meeting today with my events team. We're setting up uh, a, I just, you know, we just got a new name for it. And I actually just have to look it up because it was really cool. Yeah, so we're called um, Sustainable Blank. <laughs> It's called Sustainable Blank. Sustainable Blank, as in a blank, blank space. Right. So we're we're launching a series of events which are around sustainable founders and we're going to be interviewing them and um it it ties in with what I'm doing because I'm interested in, you know, founding uh businesses which sustain us into the 21st century and beyond that are full of abundance and love and joy and all of these human qualities that we love. Um So we're running these series of events where we're going to interview uh, amazing founders who are making profit work in the sustainable space um, in all kinds of uh, sectors, you know, in food and in luxury goods and in beauty and all kinds of sectors. So we've got that on the go. And uh, for us, yeah, it's really just about putting ourselves a bit more on the map so that we can grow this into something which is going to celebrate love and luxury for long after we're all dead. Where can people find you um, to connect with you and, and uh, find out more about what you do? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. And you can find me online on my website. Do you want me to shout those out or are yes. you going to give that? Uh, um, if you can give your website, I'll, I'll uh, add the other links. Cool, because uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of a mouthful to spell. So it's www.lydiamccarthy-keen.co.uk. And I think you definitely have to look up a spelling for that. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> any, any final words before we end the show? Just go for it. You know, no, one's, no one has any answers in life. We all need support from each other and... There are people who have skills that we don't have, but fundamentally, the only person who really has the answer for anything in life is you. And just don't ever, ever, ever let anything stand in the way of your view of yourself with this. Awesome. Well said. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun with your host, Jasbear. If you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Also, make sure you to visit www.jazzbearaurora.com to access the show notes. And if you are thinking about uh, starting your business, then take our Escape the 95 survey to see if you're ready. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>